Hello, hello, welcome to, of course, Griff Talks Football. And I hope everyone's holidays plans are going to fruition. Yeah, I, I guess that's the right word. Um, as, of course, Christmas is coming up tomorrow. Well, it also depends on when you're listening to this episode. Because, again, this episode is recorded on Christmas uh, Eve, of course. And my laptop's messing up here. Sorry. But, yes, um, I've been recording, or at least planned on recording, on Christmas Eve. Uh, that way I don't have to at least work as much um, as I'm still preparing and prepping for the daily episode. Um, which will come out later uh, this weekend prior to Week 17 football games, uh, which I'm excited to see, you know, which division will be clinched. You know, there's two divisions left. There's the NFC East, and then there's the NFC West. Depending on who wins that game, either the 49ers or the Seahawks, if the Niners win, I do believe they move up to the one seed. If the Seahawks win, I do believe they will claim the third seed and the 49ers will go uh, play an away game at either Philadelphia or at Dallas. So um, in that 49ers versus Seahawks game, that's going to be Sunday night football. So that's going to like end the regular season, which is a good way to end the regular season by uh, having a fantastic football game. But nevertheless, this is episode 8 of my Series 1 take, talking about Freddie Kitchens, Baker Mayfield, and the front office. Um, I think a lot of people, especially Browns fans, are starting to, if not already, uh, already have discussions and theories about who the next head coach is going to be. I have not had those discussions or theories but it seems to be a very annual thing where you see a coach that Cleveland hired by the owner and by the GM where it has not succeeded, which is very frustrating. And I, 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 the only reason why I thought that Freddie would at least have some success was based at least learning from Todd Haley and learning from uh, well, his two stints with Todd Haley, because he was the Cardinals running back coach back in 07, I believe. And in the 08 season, they were on a Super Bowl run with the head coach of Ken Wisenhut and then offensive coordinator at the time, uh, Todd Haley. And then he also learned under Bruce Arians when Bruce got there back in 2013. And Freddie Kitchens was still uh, the running back's coach. And so I, I, I would think that he would at least have some success there just from learning from those guys. And evidently that wasn't the case. I also thought that the way he would succeed was through the talent that he got. And what really enabled him or what really helped him win those six games that he has on his head coaching record was – was and probably still is Nick Chubb. The vocal point of the offense was not the arm of Baker Mayfield. The vocal point of the offense was not receivers Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. It's Nick Chubb. It's the running game. And no matter how many shitty calls that Freddie has, has, has put in or the inconsistent offensive identity that Freddie has established, 
one thing's for certain that when they ran a lot of inside zone, that is basically their bread and butter. And and it again was their success. It's literally what got Nick Chubb a lot of rushing yards. It was not only, you know, excellent offensive line blocking, but also Nick Chubb is a very big and athletic running back. And when you have a big athletic running back, uh, it's really to you to your advantage. Um, but it evidently it didn't set up anything. There was barely any play actions called. You know, you go from under the center running an inside zone with two tight ends, two receivers, and then all of a sudden the very next play, you're in a one-back personnel, three R receivers, one tight end, one running back, running an RPO. Like, what? No. Use quick, you use quick passing to then set up the RPO, which then you can also establish an inside zone read or an outside zone read when you're doing the RPO. But no, when you're running inside zone with the quarterback under the center, whether it's I formation, multiple tight end sets, or even one back, you don't just then go to the next play with an RPO. Uh, for those who don't know, RPO is run pass option, which again, um, you at least have one receiver or two or three receivers or even four receivers sometimes run a quick route where you can either do a quick fake where you just throw the ball where there's no penalty for illegal linemen down the field, or I think they also caught a legal offensive player down the field, um, or you just give it to the running back uh, based on what the defense is doing. So if defense is basically playing in coverage where the linebacker and the safety don't jump the run or don't bite the run, you just give it to the running back. If the linebacker comes in, you then have to decide, do I give it? Or do I throw a quick slant here? But if I do, where's the free safety or strong safety at? And if both safeties and linebackers are down, then throw the quick slant or quick bubble instead of giving up to the run. Because then that, that in itself is already a numbers advantage for defense in terms of defending the run. That's basically the ins and outs, or at least how I can summarize what an RPO is. And... That's not how you will succeed, or at least that's not why you would establish an RPO. Um, you're rather better off if you're running a bunch of inside zone plays with a quarterback on the center doing play action, doing crossing routes, doing a quick route with a quick play action fake. And... That was hardly ever the case this season. You hardly saw that with Freddie Kitchens calling the plays. And it's 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 mind-boggling why from his previous year, which, again, Greg Williams was the ed, interim head coach. Freddie Kitchens was the interim offensive coordinator, and they did a lot of play action with establishing the run. So you would think that, oh, it would be, that's what they're going to do for the following season. And yet, that wasn't the case. As, as we've seen, or as Browns fans have seen 
you know, they run the ball, they have some success, and then they try to do an RPO or try to do a pass play that takes seven-step drops or do a pass play where you either throw a quick pass or a pass play where it requires, you know, seven-man protection or six-man protection, but yet the timing in the routes aren't just there and you get sacks or you get terrible throws or a mistimed throw. And I get doing the seven-step. I get doing the five-step. I get, you know, a quick pass or a three-step drop or, you know, passing out of shotgun with intermediate to deeper routes. Like, again, you can have success with that. You got two good or, if not, excellent receivers. I get that, but that's not your offensive identity. You would have more success just running the ball, then play action with a quarterback under center and staying within the pocket and throwing a deep route, whether it's a post, go route, or a comeback, or a crossing route, where you get the linebackers and safety sucked into the run. And then, bam, you can throw over the top. And there's been some success with Cleveland doing that. And, again, as I've already pointed out, that has not happened hardly, and it's been inconsistent play calling with Freddie Kitchens. And there's also been times where in the red zone he would call the same play two times in a row and a defense would stop it and you're somehow expecting to have success on the next play, like I get believing your team, but you're better off doing something else. You can call a run, but call it on the other side. Or, you know, call a dive play or a lead play. Just something else that, hey, we're still running the rock here, but I'm not going to screw you over by letting a defense easily read the play that we just ran a second ago. And just idiotic, inconsistent plays. Also, not great situationally, as we've seen throughout the this season. And I do think this probably is, is what's going to get him fired. He also, again, I don't think he's handled... Um, I don't think he's has handled players' personality pretty well. Uh, and I say that because you're trying to get your players in the best situation possible. And if one player doesn't like this route, then try to adjust the route or establish a play where, hey, this is a route we're running, but here's a way to or here's a way to succeed running this particular route. Right? At that point, you're not so much teaching or establishing more X's and O's, you're rather having that player establish and work on the craft within that play. And uh, he's definitely, I would argue, mismanaged that. And so, again, there's been reports that he would stay in 2020, but I, I don't see, see a reason why he would stay. I, I, can't, I can't fathom. I can't imagine there's better coaches out there, but then when they're going to do the head co coaching search, they better hope that they not only hire someone who has an excellent track rec record in turning around teams, of having multiple winning seasons, 
of being a great teacher, of getting the best out of players that they have, but also making sure it's long-term. There's been so many coaching fires and hires that there hasn't been really a consistent coach that has been there longer than four years. Right. With the example, Bill Bryan has been with the Texans and has been the head coach of the Texans since 2014. And he's only had one losing season and he's had a winning season where they didn't make the playoffs in 97. Then he goes 97 twice, but still wins the AFC South Divisional Championship and then goes 11 and 5 in one season, which was last year, and won the AFC South championship for a third time in his career and the CEOs the owners there anyone who's above Bill O'Brien has kept him there and I'm glad for it. it's there's somewhat inconsistent there too but at least you're seeing progress at least you're seeing some 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 winning seasons out of Bill O'Brien making the most of what he has, and it's it's been a great hire. But with Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, he has not stuck to anyone since owning the team back in 2012. So here's what he inherited back in 2012. He inherited Pat Shermer, who is now currently the head coach of the Giants, who will most likely get fired. And he fired him. 2013 season, he hired Rob Chesneski. He was only there for one year, going 4-12. and 12. Then he hires Mike Pettin, who was there for two years, 2014-2015, and then has a combined record of 10-22, and 22, which his first year, he was 7-9. and nine. And at one point in the season, the Browns were 7-4. and four. And so they were on the brink of making the playoffs had they won three, four more games down the stretch. And a huge reason why the Browns, not just because of Mike Pettin and that defense, were able to be 7-4 at that time, but Kyle Shanahan, who's currently a head coach of the 49ers, was the offense coordinator there. That was a great hire by Mike Pettin to bring in Kyle Shanahan. And he was making the most of what he had offensively. He had Josh Gordon, but he was barely there, so he had to rely on other guys. At least, at least he had Joe Thomas and other established veteran offensive linemen, also such as Alex Gibbs, who's a Pro Bowl center, who's with the Falcons currently. Joe Thomas is retired. Um, he's been retired since 2017, and but he was a, he's an All Pro left tackle. He also had a healthy Jordan Cameron, who at that time in his career, he was pretty excellent tight end. I think he was also mentioned to the Pro Bowl that year. And then you have players such as Taylor Gabriel, but you never even heard his name up until the 2016 Atlanta Falcons season, where all of a sudden he was wide open, gets a bunch of catches, helps that offense become number one in terms of scoring points and number one in terms of yards and almost number one in every other category, especially for passing yards. <clears throat> but he was a slot receiver there, or at least a guy who would sometimes play slot and play outside. You have Andrew Hawkins, who has not been in the league for a few years, and you got Miles Austin, who's retired. 
And then you had Terrence West, who's no longer playing, I believe. And then you have um, another running back. It was his rookie year. He wore number 34. Um, oh, I'll, I'll think of his name later. But basically Kyle Shanahan was getting the most out of his players, or at least the ones he was coaching offensively. And that also includes Brian Hoyer, who was statistically having his best season prior to 2015 with the Texans. And Brian Hoyer is not really that excellent of a quarterback. And, of course, the backup was Johnny Manziel, who was just absolutely trash. But then they went on a five-game losing streak and missed the playoffs, partly because Mike Pettin was adamant on starting Johnny Manziel, not Brian Hoyer. Then there were some injuries, and Kyle Shanahan ended up leaving or getting out of his contract, joining the Atlanta Falcons. And so that was a good move by Kyle to avoid the eventual dismantle of that organization because the organization – is terrible. Jimmy Haslam has not stuck to anybody really long term. And then you got Hugh Jackson came in in 2016 and then got fired midseason last year with a record of 336 and 1, which also includes a third team in NFL history back in 2017 to go 0 and 16 in the season. Then Greg Williams was the hire from. For interim, going five and three, and then Freddie Kitchens currently six and nine. So really, whoever is the next head coach hire, they really need to stick to him. No matter if it's or her, no matter if it's two losing, maybe three losing seasons, they've really got to stick to that coach up until that contract. They need an establishment. They need an established culture. They need someone who has success, again, winning games, winning bowl games if they're hiring someone from college, winning playoff games or even a Super Bowl. And they need to stick to that coach long term. Because there's so much talent on this team. I do believe there's a coach that can turn it around. But then it also goes with Baker Mayfield's performance. I mean, Baker Mayfield has played like ass this year. He has. It's um, As I look at his stats, <clears throat> I think he's second in the league in throwing interceptions. Jameis Winston has thrown 27 interceptions. So Baker Mayfield this year has thrown 3,548 yards passing with 19 touchdowns to 18 interceptions with a 60.2 completion percentage. Terrible with the talent that he's got around him. You can also blame that on Freddie Kitchens. And then last year, he broke the NFL record for most touchdown passes by a rookie quarterback with 27 to just 14 receptions with 3,725 yards passing with a 63.8 completion percentage. So obviously, this is a... This is a huge drop from, from, from last season. And he, he, he has not handled pressure. He's being hated by the fans currently. He, unfortunately, is cocky. And when you don't back, up, back that up with a huge 
performance or a really good season, then everything that you said will be thrown back at you. And it evidently he has not handled the pressure. He has been inaccurate. His mechanics compared to last year has been terrible. And so whichever coach they're going to hire, whether it's a defensive-minded coach or an offensive-minded coach, they really need to also bring in someone who's going to be able to help fix those mechanics, whether it's a head coach from him or herself or bring in an offensive coordinator or a position coach that can really help Baker fix his issues. And then he's not making the most of what he's got. He's got an excellent running back, two receivers, a tight end, and he's he's playing like trash. And I don't know what next year is going to be like. I do feel like they're going to keep Baker Mayfield for another year, but if he's playing like trash for another year, they may bring in someone else. I hope that isn't the case. This is the longest, really, what they stuck with with a starting QB that they've drafted. I know Johnny Manziel was there for two years, but he only played ha- only like six games in 2014, and then only you know a couple games in 2015, and then he was cut. So they really need to stick with Baker at least for another year. And then with John Dorsey, he needs again to stick and work out with an excellent coach who has experienced success and will not be fired in a year. So John Dorsey, I do believe is an excellent general manager. He's brought out, he's, he's brought in talent, but I do think part of his priority should be hiring an excellent coach that he will share the same power with less controlling and then having to work on some position positions that he should look at again, such as offensive line. Um, I do think he needs to add to the linebacking core and then the secondary. So, but you know, that's it in terms of the Browns this year, you know, who they might hire. I'm not quite sure. I don't know any of the head coaching candidates out there other than Mike McCarthy, which he was interviewed uh, this past week with the Carolina Panthers. He has not gotten that job yet. So that is an option. Uh, it's just an unfortunate season. But nevertheless, looking forward to the next one. Um, but that's it for to today's episode. I would drop another one-take episode for next week in which I will be talking about um, the playoff teams that I've established and seeing why or how they got to where they've been or how they got here and now where they are um, and so forth. So see y'all later. Uh, Have a kick-ass day, y'all. And uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays.